Ashley Brattini, Nora Roberts' book, Chesapeake Peak Blue, Chapter 5. She knew he moved in. Now and again, when Drew went into the back room of the shop, she could hear music through the vents. It didn't surprise her that he played it loud or that his choices varied from headbanging rock to mellow blues and into passionate opera. Nothing about Seth Quinn surprised her. He came and went during the first week of his lease without any rhyme or reason she could see. Occasionally, he breezed in and out of the shop to ask if she needed anything to let her know he'd been starting on the skylights to tell her he'd moved some things into the storage space and made a copy of the key. He was always friendly, never seemed par partially, particularly rushed, and never once attempted to follow up that steamy afternoon kiss. It irked her for a number of reasons. First, she'd been set to deflect in any follow-up, at least for the time being. She had no attentions obsess of her or any man taking her availability for granted this was simply principle and of course it was expected that he would follow up a man didn't ask to take you to bed one day then treat you like a casual neighbor the next so perhaps he had surprised her after all which only irritated her more <coughs> excuse me just as well, she thought herself, as she worked on the small tablecloth arrangement she sold to one of the waterfront's upscale restaurants, she was settling into St. Chris into her business, into the kind of life she'd always wanted, without knowing she wanted it. A relationship, whether it was an affair or a romance, or just no string sex, would change the balance. She was so enjoying the balance. The only person who needed anything from her, demanded anything from her, except expecting anything from her these days was herself. That in itself was like a gift from God. Pleased with the combination of necrosis and precaria, she loaded the arrangement into the refrigerator. Her part-time delivery man would pick them up along with the iris and tulips and snowy white lilies ordered by a couple of the local B&Bs. She heard Seth arrive, sound of the car door slamming, the crouch of footsteps overgraveled, and the quick slap of them up the back steps. Moments later came the music. Rock today, she noted with a glance at the overhead vent, which probably meant he'd been up on the roof shortly working on the skylight. She went back into the shop, picked up the plant she earmarked, then handed, headed out the back and up the steps. A polite knock wouldn't do not with the music blaring, so she used the side of her fist to pound. Yeah, yeah, it's open since when do you guys knock? <laughs> he turned in the act of strapping on a tool belt as she opened the door. Hey, his smile came quick and easy. I thought you were one of my brothers, but you're a lot better looking. I heard you come in. She would not be a cliche. She promised herself she would not entertain ridiculous fantasies because she'd come upon a long, lanky man wearing a tool belt. Tool belt. I thought you might like these. What? What? Wait. Amused at himself, he walked into the tiny kitchen where he'd set a table top stereo. Turned out the volume. Sorry. His hammer bounced against his hip. He was wearing jeans that were equal parts holes and denim. His t-shirt was faded gray and splashed with paint. What was probably some sort of engine grease he hadn't shaved. She was not she was not absolutely not attracted to rough, untidy men. Usually, I brought you a plant. Her tone was sharper, more impatient than she tended. Her own words came back to haunt her. No, she didn't want to be interested in Seth Quinn. Yeah, despite her tone, he looked very pleased as he crossed over and took the pot from her. Thanks, he said as he studied the green leaves in the little white blossoms. It's a shamrock, she told him. Quinn, it seemed to fit. Yes, it does. Then those blue eyes lifted locked on her. I appreciate it. Don't let it dry out. She glanced up. Two skylights were already installed. He was ready. She was, And he was right, she mused. They made all the difference. You've been busy. Hmm? 
Oh, sorry, it's some time at the boatyard for some label here. Cam's give Cam's going to give me a hand today so we can finish it up. Well then, she glanced around after she reminded herself she owned the place. She could take some interest in what went on there. He had canvases stacked against two of the walls, and as usual with a black canvas was already set up in front of the window. She wasn't sure how he managed to muscle the enormous work table up the stairs. Thought that rather narrow door, but it was plopped in the center of the room and already covered with the descriptions of the artist. Brushes, paints, a mason jar of turpentine, rags, pencils, chalk. There are a couple of stools, an old wooden chair, and even older tables stopped by a particularly ugly lamp. Shelves, again wood, held more painting supplies. He'd hung nothing on the wall, she noted. There was nothing but space, tools, and light. You seem to be settling in. I'll let you get back to it. But one of the props canvases drew her. It was a wash of purple over green. A riot of wild foxgloves under pearly lights pulled her in so that she could almost feel the brush of leaves and petals on her skin. A roadside in Ireland, he said. Country Clare. I spent a few weeks there once. Everywhere you look, it's a painting. You can never really translate it on a canvas. I think you have. It's wonderful, simple, and strong. I've never seen a foxglove growing wild on a roadside in Ireland, but now I feel I have. Isn't that the point? He stared at her a moment. The morning sun spread through the skylight and streamed over her accent in the line of the jaw. And she, just stand there. Just stand right there. He repeated as he Ten minutes. Okay, I lied. Twenty tops. Excuse me. Just stand there. Damn it. Where's my... Ah, he scooped up a hunk of charcoal. The dragon's easel around. No, don't look at me. Look over there. Wait. He moved quickly, snatched up the painting of a fox love, pulling it out a hammer from his pouch, then pounded it in the wall. Just look at the painting. I don't have to... At the painting! This time his voice snapped. So full of authority and impatience, she obeyed before she thought it through. I'll pay you for the time. I don't want you in an trade. He was already stroking the charcoal over the camera. You've got that house by the river. Probably need things done off and on. I can take her. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Tilt your chin up a little. To the right. Jesus. Jesus is like, relax, John. Be pissed off later. Just let me get this. Who the hell was he? She wondered. He stood there, legs apart. Body set like a man post to fight. He had a tool belt slung at his hips and was sketching in charcoal as if his life depended on it. His eyes were narrowed. So tense. So focused. that <laughs> her heart jumped a little each time they whipped up and over her face. The stereo ACDC was on the highway to hell. Though the open window came. The cry of gulls as they swooped over the bay. Not entirely sure why she allowed herself to be ordered around. She stood and studied the foxgloves. She ran to see a grazing in her bedroom wall. How much do you want for it? His eyeballs remained. I'll let you know when I've finished it. No, the painting I'm starting at, staring at while I'm trying not to be annoyed with you. I'd like to buy it. You have an agent, I imagine. Should I contact him or her? He only grunted. Not the least interest in business at the moment. He continued. Don't move your head. Just your eyes. And look at me. That's some face, all right. <laughs> Yes, I'm certainly all aloof, a flutter by your interest in it, but I have to go down and over for a couple more minutes. Would you like to hear my opinion on people who can't take no for an answer? Not right now. <laughs> Keeping her occupied. Keep her occupied. Keep her talking. He's awkward. Oh, Jesus, it was perfect. The light, the face, that cool stare out of mossy green eyes. I heard you've got old Mr. Gimball. Gimball, doing deliveries for you. How's that working out? Perfectly fine, and as he's going to be pulling up and back very soon, he'll wait. Mr. Jim Gimball used to teach history when I was in middle school. He seemed ancient then, as crickety as the dead presidents he lectured about. 
Once some of us found this big snakeskin, we brought it in and curled it up on Mr. G's desk chair before third period. I'm sure you thought that was hilariously funny. Hysterically funny. Are you kidding? I was 11. I nearly cra cracked a rib laughing. Didn't you ever pull stunts like that on teachers in your private school for girls? No, and why do you seem I went to private school for girls? Oh, sugar, it's all over you. Step back now on the canvas. Yeah. And it looks good on you. He reached forward, softened the line of charcoal with a thumb before he looked over at her. You want to call this a sitting or our second date? Neither. I took every ounce of will, but you did cross over and look at what he done. Second date. He decided as he tossed the charcoal aside. Absolutely picked up a rag of to clean off his hands. After all, you brought me flowers. A plant? She corrected semantics. You really want the painting? That would depend on how much you're really wanting it jacks up the price. You're pretty cynical. Cynicism is underrated. Why don't you give me your respect representative's name? Then we'll see. He loved the way that short, sleek hair flowed the shape of her head. He wanted to do more than sketch it. He needed to paint it and to touch it, to run his hands over that silky dense black until he'd known its texture in his sleep. Let's do a friendly trade instead. Pose for me, and it's yours. I believe I just did. No, I want you in oil. And in watercolors. And in pastels. In bed. He spent a great deal of time thinking about her over the last few days. Enough time to have considered that a woman like her, with her looks, her background, will be used to men in active pursuits. So he slowed things down deliberately and waited for her to take the next step to his way of thinking she had in the form of a houseplant. He wanted her personally as much as he wanted her professionally. Didn't matter which came first, as long as he got both. She shifted her gaze to the painting again. It was always a pleasure and a bit of a shock. When he saw desire in someone's eyes when they looked at his work, seeing it in Drew's, he knew he scored professionally. I have a business to run, she began. I'll work around your schedule. Give me an hour in the morning before you open, when you can manage, four hours on Sundays. She frowned. It didn't seem like so very much when he put it like that. And oh, the painting was gorgeous. For how long? I don't know yet. He felt a little ripple of irritation. It's art, not accounting. Here? To start, anyway. She debated, arguing with herself. Wish she'd never seen the damn painting. And because of this foolish woman who would make an agreement without looking at all the terms, she walked to the residual around the canvas and studied her own face. She expected something rough and well sketchy, as he'd taken no more than fifteen minutes to produce it. Instead, it was detailed and stunning. The angles, the shadows, the curves. She looked very cool, she decided. A bit aloof and so very, very serious. Cynical. She thought and gave it to the smile that tugged at her mouth. I don't per look particularly friendly, she said. You weren't feeling particularly friendly. Can't argue with that. Or with the fact that you have an amazing gift, she said. I don't have a dress with a long full skirt and a sleeveless top. Any grin. Any grin. Will improvise. I'll give you an hour tomorrow, 7.30 to 8.30. Ouch. Okay. He walked over, took the painting from the wall, held it out to her. You're trusting. Trust is underrated. With his hand, with her hands were full, he took her arm. She gave her the slight lift again, brought her to her toes, and the door swung open. Nope. Said mother as casual and they never know. I drew. Kiss the girl on your own time, kid. I don't smell any coffee. Obviously at home he went toward the kitchen, then spotted the canvas. His face lit up with pure delight. Easiest fifty I ever made. I bet Phil that sat here would talk you into posing before the week was up. Oh, really? No offense. Rembert here wants to paint something, he finds a way. He'd be a fool to pass up the chance to do that.
He added in the look on his face when he studied the canvas again, was so filled with pride, she softened. He's a pain in the ass half the time, but he's no fool. I'm aware of the pain in the ass factor. I reserve judgment on whether or not he's a fool, so I get to know him better. 7.30, she said to Seth on her way out. That's A.M. Cap said nothing. She just laid a beat with an open heart on his heart. Kiss ass. So are you going to paint her a poker? <laughs> Cap hooted out and left. It's such a vicious snarl. What goes around comes around, kid. She spent a lot of time being disgusted at the idea of us poking at girls, as you put it, not so long ago. Since it is, since it is more than 15 years, that's not so long ago in your mind. It proves you're really getting old. Sure, you should go up on the roof. Might have to spell. Might have a spell up there and fall off. I can still kick your ass, kid. Sure, was easy when Philip pulled me down. You might have a shot at taking me. He laughed with Cap, caught him in the head like, Oh, man, now I'm scared. But they both remember the time he would have been when a skinny, smart-mouthed young boy would have frozen with terror at a touch, rough, or gentle. Knowing it, remembering it, that nearly blurred out the trouble he was keeping so tightly locked in. That far corner of his mind, no, he handled it, he told himself, and would handle it again if and when. He was a man of his word. When the last of the skylights was in place, he followed Cam to the boatyard to put in a few hours. Once, he thought he'd make his living here, working side by side with his brothers, building wooden sailing vessels. The fact was, some of his best memories were tucked inside the old brick building, <sighs> flavored with his sweat, a little blood, and the thrill of learning to put, be part of something. It changed over the years, refined, as Philip would say. The walls were no longer bare and patched drywall, but painted a simple workman's white. They fashioned a sort of entryway that opened to the stairs, leading to Philip's office in the second-story loft. It separated, in theory, the main, the main work area. Lining the walls were rough frame sketches of various boats built by Quinn over the years. They did Picked the progress of the business and the growth of the artist. He knew because Aubrey had told him that an art collector had come in two years ago before and offered his brother a quarter million for the 50 sketches currently on the wall on display. They turned him down flat but had offered to build him a boat based on any sketch he liked. It had been... It had never been about money, he thought now, though there had been some lean time lean times during those first couple years it had always been about the unit and a promise made to ray quinn the work area itself hadn't changed very much it was still a big echoing brightly lit space there were pulleys and winches hanging from the ceiling saws benches stacks of lumber the smell of freshly saw wood linseed oil sweat coffee the boom of rock and roll the buzz of parasols the lingering scent of youngins from someone's lunchtime sub it was also familiar to him at his own face as his own face. Yes, once he thought he'd spend his life working there, listening to Philip bitch about unpaid invoices, watching Ethan's patient hands lap wood, sweating with Cam as they turned the hall. But art had consumed him. The love of it had taken him away from boyhood ambitions and had, for a time, taken him from his family. He was a man now, he reminded himself, a man who would stand on his own ground, fight his own battles, and be what it was he was meant to be. Nothing, no one, was going to stop him. You plan on standing there with your thumb up your ass much longer, Cam asked. Or are we going to get some work out of you this afternoon? Seth shook himself back to the Doesn't look like you need me, he pointed out. He spotted Aubrey working on the deck, planking of a skiff. Her electric screwdriver whirling, she wore an Oreo spooler's cap with her long tail of hair pulled through the back. Ethan was at the lathe, turning a mask with his faithful dog sprawled at his feet. All of that skiff needs to be cocked and filled.
not works this up. And what are you going to be doing? Basking in the glory of my little empire. The basking included detailing the buckhead for the cockpit. The sort of carpentry cam turned into an art. Seth did the grunt work. It was hardly the first time he knew how to plank, he thought. A bit resentful as hoppage drill continued its bumping grind over his head. Hey, she bent down and talked to him. Who's got the night off? We're going to get some pizza and catch a flick after. You want it? It was tempting. He wanted to connect with Will again, not only because they'd been friends, but because he wanted to check out any guy who was sniffing around Aubrey. He weighed the, that against spending the evening as a fist. Well, Billy Pizza. Still the best in St. Chris? Maybe I'll swing in, says the Say hi to Will. I'll pass on the flick. I've got to get started early tomorrow. I thought your artist types called your own hours, says <laughs> Works oak run into seam of pebble and planking on the hall. Subjects call on these. What subject? Set back on her heels. Then suddenly understood when she noted the expression on her. Ooh, fancy flower girl's gonna post with a famous artist. I got more juice on her. I'm not interested in gossip. You managed to hold firm on that for nearly ten seconds. What kind of juice? <laughs> Juicy juice, sweetheart. I got it from Jamie Stiles, who got it from her cousin, who was Senate page a few years ago. True, and a certain high-level White House aide were very hot item back then. How hot? Hot enough to burn up the social columns in the Post for nearly a year and to warrant what Janie's cousin described as an engagement ring with a diamond the size of a doorknob. Then the diamond disappears, he goes cold, and the high-level aide starts burning up the newspaper with a blonde. She was engaged? Yeah, briefly. According to my story, it came out that the blonde was a factor before the broken engagement. If you get my drift, he was cheating on Drew with the bimbo. It so happens that this blonde was, is, a hotshot lawyer, assistant White House counsel or something. Must have been tough on Drew, having all that personal business splashed around in the press. She strikes me as someone who'd stand up to her pretty well. She's nobody's doormat, and I bet you a month's pay. She busted that cheating bastard's ball before she stuffed the ring down his throat. <laughs> you would, says that was proven right before he mopped the floor with his lying tongue. But Drew doesn't come off as a violent type. More like she froze him to death. One of those chilly looks and a few icy words. Aubrey snorted. A lot you know about women. Still waters pale of mine. They not only run deep, and you bet your ass, they can run hot, too. Maybe he said thought as he chopped his filthy, aching body back behind the wheel of his car, but he'd lay money that Drew had sliced the guy in two without spilling a single drop of blood. He knew what it was to have life, little personal details of your life, embarrassing, intimate details nibbled on by the press. Could be she'd come here to get away from all that. He knew just how she felt. He glanced at the time as he pulled out. He could use that pizza Aubrey had mentioned. It seemed a waste of effort to drive all the way home, shout off the day's work. Then head right back to into town. So he just swung by and clean up at the studio. He brought over some towels and soap. He even remembered to toss a spare pair of jeans and a shirt into the closet. He might just find Drew still at the shop and talk her into a friendly pizza, which would, he thought, please, with the idea, cons constitute date number three. Did you get that cool I am not a music expression on her face when he called it that, he thought, and that quick light in her eyes that gave her humor away. He was crazy about the contrast. He could spend hours, days, contemplating the variety of shade, shadow, and light in her, but her car was gone from the little, from the little lot behind.
behind her building. He consider calling her, persuading her to come back into town. But before he remembered, he didn't have her phone. He'd have to take care of that, he mused. But since he couldn't call from there, he'd clean up, buzz over village pizza, and call her from a payphone. Somebody was bound to have her number. Better, he decided as he started up the steps, he'd get a pizza to go and stop by her house on the way home with a bottle of Merlot. What kind, of woman, what kind of woman would turn out a guy away when he had pizza and wine? Satisfied with the plan, he stepped inside and felt something skid under his foot. Frowning, he reached out and picked up the folded note that had been slipped under his door. His stomach pinched at the bottom fell out of his world. The bottom fell out of his world. Ten thousand should hold me. I'll be in touch. Seth simply sat on the floor. Just inside the studio door, crumbled the paper into a tiny mean ball. Gloria Delatner was back. He hadn't expected her to find or follow him so quickly. He hadn't been prepared. He meant it to find her, nipping at his heels barely two weeks after he left Rome. He wanted time to think, to decide. He flipped the little wad of paper across the room. Well, 10000 would buy him time if he wanted to piss the money away. He'd done it before. When it came to his mother, there was no price he wouldn't pay to be forever, and more to keep his family forever. He was, of course, exactly what she counted on. End of chapter 5.